on the computer. Okay, home slice. Let's see if we can make a show. Are you ready to go? Sure. Three, two, one. And here we are, folks, again with the solar coaster with Jason Burkhart in Osaka, Josh Porter here in Maui. We get a chance to talk about wind today. What do you think about wind, Jay? Good morning. Let's give everybody gas. Gas, gear acquisition <laughs> syndrome. That's our favorite excuse to buy stuff. Yeah, I want to buy a windmill <laughs> uh, <laughs> to power my studio. Yeah, no, it's a it's a cool uh, cool show we got here. We actually, I, I remember when we were talking about this, Jay. We were like, wouldn't it be amazing if we could get Vineyard Wind on the show? You know, we were like talking about it earlier on, and then of course, it, Vineyard Wind pops up, and we got uh, Andrew Doba. Uh, you know, that just keeps guy. happening. It was like when we first started the radio. It was like we, we really would like to talk to these people. We're gonna talk to those people. You know, we talk to everybody at this point. A lot of people. A lot of people lining up. And for people that um, you know, and also special kind of uh, conversation because. First of all, it's, it's kind of seems like the beginning of offshore big mega scale wind in the United States right now. It's something that's been yeah. happening in Europe for the last decade and change. Now we're seeing this birth of an industry, so to speak, here in the U.S. And that is awesome. But in addition to that, you know, we were out. I mean, this is your hometown, basically. You're from Plymouth. This is the general vicinity that you're in. It's off of New Bedford, I think, right? And then that that lease out there for Vineyard Wind is kind of like between Nantucket or like, I, I'm not sure if south is the right orientation, but I think it's south of it's Nantucket and, south, and yeah. Martha's, right, in between them. Yeah. And then, of course, we did shows at Cuddy, which is just around the corner from that area. So it's right in your stomping grounds that this really awesome thing is happening. And as it turns out, it's not just there. It's other places. We're hearing uh, echoes of it here in Hawaii. We're just we're going to talk in the news and events about some stuff happening in the Carolinas. I'm sure the Gulf Coast is right around the corner. California is even in the, you know, on the docket in a sense. So, man, it's it's a it's a cool industry and I'm, I'm really excited about it. And uh, yeah, what say you on wind, Jay? Um, necessary piece of the puzzle. You know, we're talking about, uh, this is something I was going to get into later in the show, but I mean, it's, there's no one stop solution, right? If, if things work in different, different solutions work in different locations, right? And it's very location dependent. So what resources do you have available? How can you leverage them? How can you do it with at least environmental impact or, um, human impact, whatever, whatever what your, your priorities are. Um, there is no one solution. And so wind is going to be a big piece of the puzzle. It's really easy to generate. It doesn't necessarily track the same as solar. So when we talk a lot about solar's intermittency, you know, well, the, the sun is not shining, but the wind is still blowing. So you can get different resources at different times of day. Uh, it's just going to help everybody balance in the long term. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, my mind kind of breaks things down these days into intermittent and dispatchable. <laughs> That's yep. Josh's head. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and this is an, you know, obviously an intermittent source. Um, but you can hear people discussing in the wake of what's happening with Putin and Russia and Ukraine. Um, how do we diversify our energy? How do we create better energy independence? How does energy, energy security has kind of a different flavor to it than energy security during an outage? Now the idea is geopolitically speaking, how do we have secure energy and make sure we're okay? And Musk's out there saying, hey, you know, you're not going to be able to take everything onto renewables right now. He's saying ramp up nuclear. He's saying ramp up our uh, fossil fuel capacity so we can actually have, you know, be a surplus provider of fossil fuels in the United States. And that's coming out of his mouth right now. 
And I, I'm talking and, to people in this space that don't disagree. Technology, so we can continue to do what we're doing with less impact. You know, that, that yeah. type of stuff. Sure. It's a transition, yeah. right? I, it's yeah. not this simple black or white that it this or that. It's it's you know, what is the geography? What is the technology that makes sense? What pencils in that space? How do we get enough of the solid intermittent that pencils in that space? Enough of the solid dispatch with the pencils in that today? space. What's that? <laughs> what can we manufacture today? What works now? And what can move us towards a carbon-free future? You know, that's kind of the type of discussion we're having. So, of course, um, we're going to get a chance to talk to Andrew Dober from Vineyard Wind about that awesome interview. That will be up and coming shortly. Let's jump into news and events. I know hydrogen is a big part of the, the puzzle today, Jay. Are we Are talking you, about hydrogen, hydrogen right out of the game? is a big part of the conversation. But right away, I want to talk, a, this, is, this is sort of a PSA, um, but this is a, uh, a Hawaii public radio article, uh, which is interesting, um, about misinformation derailing projects. And it's uh -huh. kind of that um, social media is the devil <laughs> kind of conversation. Um, realistically, it's just very difficult to parse out the facts from the rhetoric and, and just people being afraid of things. There, a lot of people will type a lot of things on a lot of keyboards and it isn't necessarily true, factual, or even well thought out. Um, I went down the rabbit hole on this one a little bit last and night. And Jay, just so people um, can read this if they want, this is the misinformation is derailing renewable energy projects across the United States by NPR and HPR. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Exactly. That is, it comes it's an NPR article. Um, but there are, when a project comes into a city, there are invariably going to be proponents and opponents to to the project. People don't like change, first of all, um, but there are legitimate reasons for wanting to site a project in a particular location and people maybe not wanting it. Um, that, that not in my backyard is, is a legitimate phenomenon. They certainly are behind um, renewable energies, but not where they can see it. And so that's, it's, it's, it's a difficult conversation to have. The problem is that people make up all sorts of lovely, interesting, <laughs> and really some, some wacky um, uh, fake research or fake news, whatever you want to call it, um, disinform disinformation <laughs> that, uh, pardon? I was just thinking about Trump. I hadn't heard the term fake news since he was off yeah, here. Yeah, please stop. It's going to miss it. <laughs> all of a sudden, all the news is real again. It's not, it's not fake. Um, but I mean, this, this is specifically in reference to the wind conversation, because they're saying that a lot of these windmills are generating low frequency noise, and they have all sorts of crazy effects. Now, I don't discount the fact that they make noise. I mean, just any, any mechanical component makes makes noise and has vibrations uh of course, obviously they want to minimize that because any vibrations that you're creating are actually damaging or shortening the lifespan of of the machine right it's it you don't want a machine that's shaking itself apart so they try to make them as smooth as possible just as a matter of course they want these things to to be able to last for a while um at least we would assume so <laughs> Yeah. But but some of these some of these reports are pretty pretty crazy. What was the one you brought up before the uh, the, the stilted um, Portuguese horses? <laughs> whatever. Uh, okay, I'll read the I'll read the quote. Links the to quote. stories about wind turbine noise causing birth defects in Portuguese horses. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's just so out there. Um, 
and and it's but but people not being able to sleep the the wind shadow thing is actually legitimate i i thought about yeah. this and it's real. at certain times of day if a windmill is close to you you will have it pass in front yep. of the sun and, and just literally create a strobing pattern yeah uh, most of these don't move very fast so it's going to be a pretty slow yeah it's not not you don't want pass. that in your life not that's not like that um but there have been reports about people having seizures from from flashing yeah. you know flashing lights yeah it seems um, like an epilepsy none chair. of those reports have ever been validated <laughs> uh well so okay so and what i get out of this is, yeah, the cycle the cycle needs to be much faster than that we had that um what was the cart the japanese cartoon years ago the pokemon oh, yeah. cartoon that. um they had kids having seizures all over the country because they had they had a certain cycling pattern of, of flashing lights on the tv and all the kids were watching it but it's um it needs to be much faster than your tradition i mean it really have to be a, a, a windmill kind yeah. of effect um so i don't i don't see that being valid but people believe it because it's on the internet yeah so um <laughs> you know it's look this is a this is a a broad reaching issue that impacts us right here in hawaii Okay. Mm -hmm. When you remember um, Paiyahu, the uh, 15 meg above um, Maui Meadows on the south area of Maui for folks that aren't familiar with the geography of Maui, below Kula, you know, there was a whole outspoken group that didn't want the, um, the solar farm there. And the, the types of uh, stuff that was being researched, and they actually had, one of the groups had asked me to get involved with the research at one point, And they said, you know, can you help us? kind of show that EMFs are going to be negative uh, to, for our health being within a couple hundred feet of this solar farm. And I thought, well, <laughs> I can't imagine any, 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 any scientific paper of legitimacy that actually can prove that, you know? So there, there's a series of, of other types of things like that are out there. Really what this is in my view is that you have change. People have, are adverse to change. And, um, but then there are consequences to not taking these steps, you know, ma mainly climate change and mainly energy volatility. And there's other negatives that they're not really thinking about. And uh, it feels like some of these people have a little too much time on their hands, <laughs> you know, and, but, but that being said, there are legitimate things. And when we spoke with Goldwyn, as an example, I think the second, in one of these articles we see here, it's the second uh, largest manufacturer or highest volume manufacturer in the wind industry in the large turbines. Now, Goldman CEO David Sale, he spoke directly to me about that particular issue, about the shadowing effect and about the strobe-like effect. And they have technology embedded into their systems that they are innovating to uh, minimize or reduce that. And they have these great little uh, video infographic things that show exactly how the sun tracks around the windmill relative to the community and how they turn the things off and they let them bleed through wind until it stops, right? Until, until they're outside of the shadow of the of the thing so there's technology to address that particular issue right and of course that's not going to make it into the rhetoric <laughs> you know so you know it, it, because that could be i could be brought into it and say hey look you can put this windmill wind farm over here but we have to make sure that these relevant new technologies are in place and that they preserve you know a healthy space for us right so it's like it, it's you know it's it's the, it's media man it's just crazy media yeah, absolutely. And and that's kind of the point of this whole thing is that when you are going, when you are confronted with somebody ringing your doorbell and saying, oh my God, they're putting this thing in and please sign our petition not to have it. 
just do your own due diligence. I'm not telling you what to think. I just want you to do your own thinking as opposed to just believing what's put in front of you on your Facebook group because somebody on a keyboard somewhere wrote it down. I'll tell you what, Jay, it's <laughs> not a small thing. I, it concerns me. And it concerns me because there's there's money behind some of this, right? There are groups and organizations that are in the anti-wind or anti-solar or anti-whatever kind of, I'm going to say lobby, but they're out there saying, hey, we are against this. And then there's attorneys that are um, going to have to litigate. And those attorneys are getting fees. And then there's negotiations. And there's out-of-course settlements. And there's money changing hands. And what it feels like is a bit of a shakedown, if you want my personal opinion. <laughs> I'm from Jersey. That looks like a shakedown. Like, so <laughs> it's like a legal shakedown. And, you know, I don't want to see, and I'm really concerned about Hawaii in particular. We're not talking about too much wind here, but there is some wind, but in Hawaii and our systems being able to be actually deployed within the time frame that we, we, we thought we did the hard work. You know, we got through the legislature, we got the technology, we got the funding, we got it approved for the PUC, the utility said, okay. And then boom, we get to this place. And then there's a, you know, a shit ton of NIMBYs out there going, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> that's concerning, man. That's concerning. Yeah, and and it's always going to happen, but it only takes one dedicated individual to stir up a, just a, a tremendous amount of trouble. And I, I, like I said, there are legitimate concerns. There should always be oversight. I mean, you don't want people just dropping things in your backyard without any sure, say sure, whatsoever, sure. but. Like I said, all I'm saying is do your own due diligence. Don't just believe it because somebody comes over and says, oh, my God, the aliens are coming to pick us up. In a week and <laughs> do you remember when we got called out on air for saying the word NIMBY and it was a, a, a what did she say? Um, it was a it was a negative word, you know, and I, I had suppose, never thought yeah, of it something, as a it's word. derogatory. I don't derogatory. Think that was the term. It's, yeah, it, it's just a way of describing that knee-jerk reaction and they said i mean i feel it too i don't like change i don't want anything that's going yeah. to um have a net negative impact on my property values you sure. know like or my sight lines um whatever it happens to be but again we're going to have to have the conversation that that these things do need to happen and they have to go somewhere. So what do we all want to do about it? And that's, that's all the conversation that I want to have. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Just a reasonable dialogue. Yeah. Well, uh, let's see, Jay, in a, you're going to have to even a different reasonable dialogue. You want to talk about uh, Heliogen? Oh, uh, Heliogen. Why do I like Heliogen so much? There's something about Heliogen that just, I, I just, I'm always excited like to see them in the news. I think it's because it's uh it's industrial scale. What did you say? I missed what you said. You like fried chicken. I like fried chicken. What's that? Oh, geez. You're talking about bird flares? <laughs> bird flares. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, that's see so, so, you now that that's playing right into the previous the previous article. So Heliogen and Woodside announce a uh, California uh, commercial scale demonstration project is what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, this was reported in Energy Source Distribution. Um, it's actually really interesting because Woodside is an Australian. Um, electric provider and and fossil fuel provider specifically. Hmm. Um, so these guys are heavy into the Western Australian market. They are selling uh, fossil fuel solutions across across the industry there. And they're this is part of a deal that they have with Heliogen to be exclusive in the Western Australian market 
for to, to sell the Heliogen products going forward. Okay. So this is this is the demonstration, but it's going to happen in um, the Mojave Desert in California. I want to go check this thing out. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, the issue is um, they don't have permitting yet. Woodside has already told Heliogen, go ahead and start procuring materials, but they actually don't have permitting for this site yet. Um, and I foresee a significant backlash in the, the wildlife preservation thing, specifically because of, um, of the bird flare. So <laughs> kind wait, of wait, let me, if I get, let me recap. This is, a, this, is a con this is a concentrated solar system. Uh, they use AI to, to target a bunch of mirrors up yeah. to a central tower, um, heat that to well over a thousand degrees, and then um, charge a, um, like a heat battery. That's just a bunch of rock in a box. <laughs> Um, but then they really... use that uh, as, as a much more stable ballast. Um, but this is right outside the Mojave uh, National Parks. And there are a couple have... of CSPs out there already. The ones you, yeah, ones you, have, you they, see they, when you so come they, back from Vegas. Golden Eagles, Red Tail Hawks, you know, the Roadrunners right. out there. I don't think Roadrunners are up, up in the air like that. Cactus Why would you Brand. choose California? <laughs> yeah. Too difficult. But, um, but, but they're, I mean, the National Parks, I'm on the National Parks website right now, uh -huh. and they're already reporting a 20.9 fewer bird species concerns, concerns, concerns. Oh, right. And now they want to put this concentrated solar bird killer thing <laughs> right outside. It's going to be a misinformation storm. Just wait for it. So let me see if I understand this. You got a, you got a bunch of shooting from the hip Australian energy entrepreneurs that want to lock in a, a exclusive distribution deal or exclusive deal in Australia. They're coming out to California saying, ah, what's the big deal, mate? <laughs> we should be yeah. able to do whatever we want here. And then yeah. they're going to go to California. I wonder if I know these guys. And then they're going to go to California and try to set up a CSP thing right next to like a bird sanctuary or something. Yeah. So <laughs> this is it's pretty close. It's pretty close. <laughs> that's wild, man. But I'll tell you what, I, the thing that, that just gets me really jazzed about Heliogen and about, you know, what you have is, that, like you said, there's this AI that uh, super accurately or optimally controls the mirrors to change the overhopes energy harness of your typical CSP. And then it creates this superheated uh, molten salt with core, whatever the technology is. And now you're able to utilize that heat for industrial purposes. And I think that's probably yeah. why I get stoked about it. Um, I, it's just exciting to think that we're moving outside of, you know, one aspect of this industry is moving to a new area, right? Yeah. Um, that's, that's not the only interesting thing about the Heliogen setup though, is that they also have this big, I mean, essentially, it seems really simple when you look at it, but all, of, all the best ideas are really simple, right? Um, it's basically just a big container full of rock. And you think about like lava rock in your barbecue or something like that, you know, it holds the heat and distributes it and keeps it for, for a while, even if you shut off the, the gas or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's essentially a big giant box of rock that they pump the salt through and then it will maintain heat ballast, even when the sun goes behind a cloud or it's dark, you know, you, they still have heat throughout um, those, those intermittency periods and they can continue to run the generators. They can continue to draw heat off of that, off of that system. So they're overcharging this big box of rocks and then using that heat. So it's, it's like a heat battery that's right. attached a certain to kind the of rock system directly, which is really it. neat. You know, that's, it's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Is it carbon? Yeah, let's find out. You know, it yeah. should be. <laughs> yeah, it should be. Right? We'll put all the carbon in a box. <laughs> yeah. 
You just got to attach the uh, air capture system right to it and then air capture it right into well, it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I see. I love I love that whole conversation. It's like everybody is like, oh, we'll just pump the carbon up uh, underground and, and then we need to find a way to turn it solid. <laughs> oh, okay. You just want nature to do that for you or how is that? <laughs> really if, cool. If, CEO if, if Meg really lock in a whole lot of carbon, I mean, that would be a major selling point. Sure. So uh, she says, our collaboration with Helogen on this innovative technology supports our commitment to building a low-cost, low-carbon, profitable, resilient, and diversified portfolio. That's not interesting. I thought she was going to say something better. <laughs> very good. Very yeah. good. Okay. So the, so the, video, the video on Heliogen's website is actually pretty clear. And the, what I do like about it is that it's modular. You can add stuff. You can even add yeah. electrolyzers if you want to do hydrogen production, like right on site, which is Oh, neat. wow. Um, yeah. Huh. Wonder if that changes things for hydrogen production in terms of efficiencies. And that was a that was a good segue because now we're going to talk about hydrogen and hydrogen, hydrogen, hydrogen. I mean, it's pretty hydrogen, hydrogen, hydrogen these days. Because uh, I mean, I I guess it's because it's a commodity that people can understand. You know, it's it's not until recently. Sure, I mean, five years ago we were walking out on the trade show, and I was, you know, I've always been a hydrogen yeah he loved it one way and way or not another but we're walking around trade shows and like hydrogen is like segregated in this little corner way over there there's like a tape line that says if you step over the line and and these poor guys you know they were over there they had their their tanks and yeah, their, their the, manifolds and yeah this, this one guy's got a, a, a actually i mean it was slick tech where he's talking about gaskets for uh hydrogen connections because, because it's such a small particle yeah super small molecule it can permeate a lot of materials and you can, it's very difficult to, to stop right leak without the right material and he had he had great stuff but just like nobody's over there and nobody was talking about it you know, those guys need to, i feel really vindicated but those guys should be <laughs> should feel way better now um being up being at five years ahead of the curve that's that's painful hard to hopefully they're still in business for sure um but we've got a lot, a lot of, of, um, of articles. Uh, first, like from oilprice.com. And I thought this was funny Oil because price. like there's literally a .com for everything, isn't there? <laughs> Oil price. Where do you even find this stuff? Um, how hydrogen will tran- transform geopolitics. And it's a good read on um, how we're currently tied to a few oil producing nations. Um, and we can't really... Um, get out from under these relationships so long as we're economically tied to the said said regions um and that's that whole landscape is going to change that's 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 all the article is about it's just like you guys need to be paying attention because the landscape is changing and it's there's not much you can do to stop it uh it's, it's pretty yeah i'm sorry i'm sorry to interrupt you no no worries um it's it's just that, that this the um, it, it's going to become much more level as a playing field. You know, you have these these traditionally yes. Hawaii, for example, um, traditionally consumer nations. It could flip it on its head. That now all of a sudden have the power to become a not only just um, self-sustaining, but actually an exporter. An energy. exporter. This is an energy <laughs> exporter, Hawaii. I love it. So you know, th- this is real uh, Chuck Collins Hawaii Hydrogen Alliance stuff, right? He's like, mm-hmm. we just got to go hydrogen, you know, and he, he's yep. got everything in there. But this says in January 2022, the International Renewable Energy Agency, IRENA, released their anticipated report, Geopolitics of the Energy Transformation, the Hydrogen Factor, anointing it 
as the missing piece of the clean energy puzzle. And what you just talked about is the transition for geopolitics in the global economy. So we have this, you know, this kind of known century old, you know, uh, geopolitical relationship with these oil producing countries that kind of dictate geopolitics globally for all of us, right? And now yep. that could be completely changed by this, by the smallest element in the universe. <laughs> it's like, it's not that's, spectacular. That's a nice way to phrase it. But I mean, it's, it's just that it's available to most states. But it's states, more available I mean, to some. And you just mentioned that about Hawaii. So places yep. with abundant intermittent renewable energy now have the opportunity to harvest that uh, and then to create hydrogen and then potentially to even export it. I mean, you know, generally renewable energy is available all around the world. So I wonder if it's moving hydrogen around. I, I would like to see the economics of all that. But I mean, there the are companies out there that already have um, sites on large scale, like basically just tankers that move hydrogen instead of oil. I mean, it's, sure. it's already happening. So, yeah. And then how was it? Hitachi, I think. Well, I met yep. these guys out here and they were talking about Southeast Asia. There's hydrogen can come from all these different forms. We've talked about the rainbow of hydrogen. They're moving more yep. towards Ala Michelle Detweiler's description, more towards a carbon character per hydrogen, like a metric, like a X amount of carbon per the hydrogen that's created rather than a color. Cause the color kind of speaks to a range and it's a little blurry as to what it means, whether it's blue or green or gray or pink or whatever teal, sure. turquoise, hydrogen, all these different things. But I mean that, you know, you have um, oil, oil refineries and the, they, they're a, a source of potential hydrogen. And then the, I think Itachi was moving it. And the way that you move hydrogen is an interesting conversation too. You have to, there's some, you can change the, the, the state of the hydrogen to something else some way. Uh, very cool. So this stuff is actually happening right now. Unbelievable. Interesting. I mean, the, 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 war in ukraine has really kind of put this to the forefront everybody's talking i mean it, these things were in conversation but as we've always said you know the technology kind of exists it's a policy desire problem <laughs> yes so once 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 it becomes politically okay to say we're doing this thing or then then, then it's going to happen it's amazing how the human brain works like that right it just needs the right time can't do you know whatever whatever that input is yeah yeah wow <laughs> so, talking about another one we were talking last show about the um the four um test hydrogen hubs uh in in the, the midwest and the west virginia um proposal has has come under a lot of file a lot of fire um calling it calling it a boondoggle now this is this is one that i'm not particularly thrilled with uh, like hydrogen don't like the blue hydrogen or worse gray um, because that is basically just burning uh, natural gas in order to create the hydrogen um, you basically throw uh, some steam into the mix when you're burning the natural gas and it will uh, break the water molecules of that steam apart and you get the hydrogen out it uses the oxygen to burn and uh, you can try to car to capture carbon. They talk a lot about this. This um, CC um, US sus. <laughs> What's that? What's the name of it? The, the carbon. The carbon uh, capture. Carbon capture. Uh, CC CC US. Um, this is the Weirton Daily process. Times article we're talking about, right? Pardon? 
the Weirton yeah. Daily Times article. Yeah, yeah. Weirton Daily Times. So coming out of coming out of West Virginia, um, but it is it, it, the whole the whole concept of, of wanting to use the, wanting to use the natural gas. I mean, you think if 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 it's, if it's West Virginia, you know, they would really like to get off the the fossil fuels, but I guess they still want to leverage what they've got. Sure. Um, it just takes so much energy. The problem I have is that the CCUS process is where you're trying to pump it underground and hope it goes away. Um, I mean, it reminds me of fission waste. <laughs> nuclear waste. waste. Honestly, um, when you're talking about nuclear waste, right? Yeah. It's just, we're just, we're just stick it down this abandoned mine shaft and hope it disappears. Um, no. <laughs> so this group here, um, the CCUS is the, um, what do you call it? Carbon capture utilization and storage. And yeah. so they're basically trying to find ways to um, deal with the, um, the carbon that comes out of this particular method of achieving, of, 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 har of harvesting hydrogen. Yep. And uh, so this is like a research institute or something. They're trying to find ways to do this. It sounds like clean coal. <laughs> uh, it kind of it kind of reminds me of of that as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, they are they are there are technologies that can do carbon capture off this type of of ignition system, right? So you can you can get the carbon, you can capture it, you can do it, but it takes so much energy. And when I'm looking at like very inefficient, total, you're saying total system, yeah, to the efficiency of the total system. How much of the energy? that you are generating, are you going to have to then use just to capture the carbon? And what's, what's the net output? What's, where, where's the Q factor? <laughs> yeah. Do we know what that math is? Um, not off, not off hand. Yeah. I mean, it really depends on what technologies they're putting in. And then of course there's the gray where they just burn it off and nobody cares. Right. Well, what, what occurs to me on the kind of other side of that is that you have these let's call them, you know, states where they have this cottage industry and they, and all the infrastructures there to support that existing industry. And once again, it's kind of like, you know, on a local basis, what pencils out, what works for you to move in the direction of renewable energies, right? And this is, you know, one of the kind of more egregious like examples, okay, you're going to go and you're going to burn this gas and you're going to pull hydrogen and you're going to, it's not going to be clean, but it's going to be, you know, a little bit better than the alternative well, we, maybe. We can clean it is what they're saying. <laughs> right. It feels like the tree, anyway, I mean, burn is, the trees it, and then it, we'll plant the trees. It'll be okay. I mean, net carbon, <laughs> net zero yeah, carbon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've told that story too many times. Um, <laughs> but I mean, at the end of the day, this was a money. This was a money conversation. It, there's $9.5 billion in federal funding. That's where the boondoggle comes in. To, to build this hub. So West Virginia wanted that money in the worst <laughs> way. And uh, that's what they're building. Did they get it? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I'm assuming they build the, uh, the thing, but it's, it's in law. It was signed into law. No kidding. It's done. You can get 9.5 billion for creating something like that. Apparently. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, <laughs> so, so to continue the conversation on hydrogen, um, MSN reports that the Russia invasion has made uh, energy security a hot topic. Really? <laughs> no kidding. Like, don't say. Um, but think, but U.S. thinks hydrogen could be the answer, and this is still kind of the same, uh, same conversation. There, there was a big um, 
the Atlantic Council's Global Energy Forum in Dubai, uh, was it two weeks ago, uh, I believe, with uh, really, really interesting conversation. These are some backdoor kind of conversations, um, real oil executives from real high-end companies um, talking about the future of the energy industry. These are the guys that the helm of this, this hundred year old uh, geopolitical structure that we've built. And they're talking about where they're, where they're going to go next. Um, there's a lot of, of hemming and hawing. There's a lot of quotes in here, little sound bites. I would encourage everybody to read the article when you can. Russia's invasion has made energy security a hot topic um, on msn.com. But uh, the one that I really thought was interesting was the Italian. Um, was it Italian? I believe it was Italian. Um, but uh, but his, his, the guy's name is Jafar, which I thought was hilarious because that's isn't that the bad guy? Oh, <laughs> in, in a in um, But he's actually really he seems really really smart. Um, uh, CEO of Crescent Petroleum. Um, so the hydrogen is a fundamental carrier of energy, absolutely spot on. Okay, it's not the only one, but it is a fundamental carrier, and that it is it is not the only solution so mm. exactly what we were just talking about as well is that it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all situation like everybody wants to immediately well let's just make everything hydrogen and everything will be okay and we don't have to worry about russia anymore um it doesn't work that way in the real world mm. and he's he's just telling he's telling every all these other ceos and billionaires um listen it's it's not going to be that so let's look at the whole the whole picture that's the, the smartest thing I saw coming out of this conference. It was the smartest thing you saw coming out of it. Yeah. Well, I don't know what to say about that, Mr. Burkhart. I mean, um, I certainly think that, uh, that hydrogen is, 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 you know, it's obviously like has a tremendous promise, but the notion that it's going to hold, you just immediately shift over is absurd. It's going to take time to get there. There's going to be a lot but of different ways to approach it. that's how talking about it. Like all of a sudden, oh, we're investing $6 million into, or $6 billion into hydrogen hubs or this, whatever. That. I'll tell you what, the care, one of the things that I, get, that, that I find interesting, just very simply, is that let's say three or four years ago, we were hanging out with Hank Rogers and he was talking about hydrogen. He was excited in his lab over in uh, in Big Island. And he would you know pump hydrogen through a little burner and he, he, he you could put your finger next to it because it burns differently. And you would talk about the rate that it, at that point, it was, if you brought hydrogen up, it was still like, there's a market difference in the way people respond to hydrogen today than how they did four or five years ago, but it takes a while. And then it was just, um, you know, it was, it blows up as dangerous. I mean, that was it. That's all you got when you talked about hydrogen four or five yeah, years ago. Hindenburg, 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 Hindenburg. The guy at the, uh, the trace, and he wanted to walk away from the interview. How <laughs> many times <laughs> do you have to answer that question? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it's, uh, you know, it, it, but it's changed. And that is, I think, for me, the most interesting thing. Like, what what is it about the way that humans think about these things? They just They just stick to something. And it takes a while of dialogue and information and a lot longer than we expect uh, for people to be able to say, yeah, let's, let's, let's look at this as a real solution. And then now we're starting now it's like, everyone loves it. Now it's like, it, it kind of swings the pendulum swings to the opposite side where it's like, we're going to shift everything to hydrogen. <laughs> you know, and it's like, wait a second. No, and this is where this guy's coming in. It's going to take some time here, guys. Chill out. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> we're working on it. 
Crazy, right. crazy. All right. How many more you want to get in before we jump over to the main Not focus? hydrogen related. Fine, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> um, the U.S. Uh, is now considering tariffs on solar panels from other southeastern countries. Um, this uh, Southeast Asian is, countries. Is, yeah, Southeast Asian countries. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, now, this is this is in response to. I mean, it's it's kind of we knew this was coming, and I think we talked about it years ago when they when the, um, the tariffs first went on Chinese panels. Where the Chinese manufacturers would just move to some other country and stamp "made in Malaysia" or Taiwan or, or whatever else. Transshipment uh, um, on on the um, on the the origin stamp, you know, and that's what's happened. And so now companies in uh, in California are protesting this as well because these companies are like wholly owned subsidiaries of major Chinese outfits. It's very obvious that it's right. them trying to circumvent the tariff. And, but it's, this is just a, um, a, uh, a research request for the court. So it's not. What is the, what, what is the um, periodical? I, I can't seem to find it. This, this was an MSN as well. Uh, U.S. to consider oh, tariffs on solar panels made in Southeast Asia. Got it. Got it. You know, um, uh, people in, so having had some experience in the sourcing world, Jay, can tell you that the the salaries, the labor costs in mainland China and the special economic development zone and the infrastructure and the development of these factories and like all the, the fabs that were built for these things, like there was a movement towards Southeast Asia in general because it was cheaper to make it than it was to make it in China, right? Mm-hmm. For a lot of different technologies and, and products, but I can see that happen, has happened for PV. And so, yeah, basically China's out there and they're just, you know, probably building fabs in different areas that have favorable policies. And, you know, it's good for those environments. People get jobs. And, but, you know, it's basically Chinese just a bit of a, US, you know, what's that? Chinese owned factories in the U.S. supplying jobs. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about that. You know, the local economy gets a major boost. They have a big factory there. A lot of people get to go to work every day. You're talking um, about Vietnam, it's, for it's example. Manufactured in the U.S. But if it were done in the U.S., well, you know, I think there's a case. It's pretty rare. You know, there's a case for domestic manufacturing in the United States from an energy security perspective. Maybe, right? We talked about this. By the way, I realized we have a huge interview with um, Andre about this issue, about the variety of things he covered for Salt North North America Smart Energy Week. He covered PV as a overview of the you know breakdown of how the PV technologies work but he also went into depth about manufacturing and a variety we're going to air that shortly for those, the, for those um who don't know andre is oh andre richter is a former uh meyer berger um vp or high up staff member meyer berger is the one of the leading tooling manufacturers for the pv industry and he is now uh, Meyer Berger changed hands. It moved. Uh, I can't remember the direction it moved uh, from one European country to the other. But uh, he basically moved on to create his own company called Blue Green Power. And he's doing some really exciting things in agrovoltaics uh, and very, very cool stuff. And we'll cover that in that interview. I, mean, I, I love this stuff. It really is just amazing. I don't even know if we talked about it. Jay. It's just radical. Think, you know, light. Um, polymer or like plastic encased by facials hung by cables over 
farm environments to to deal with the effects of climate change, meaning soil and water problems and water evaporation and soil erosion, to kind of mitigate that problem, keep the crops moving good, but then create new new revenue streams through PV. <laughs> real Andre nice. Richter stuff, man. Sounds, so sounds like a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it's what's more fun than that? But but the the reason I bring it up and I almost lost it was he's talking about a, a case for domestic manufacturing of panels in the United States. Not so much from a geopolitical security kind of thing, although I think that's reasonable to discuss, but more from, hey, this is possible. And there's new manufacturing techniques where it could be profitable and it could make sense. And there's this hub and wheel and spoke, a spoken hub rather, sorry, spoken hub um, uh, fab location uh, strategy and, and, and geography that he mapped out for the entire United States and the and the consequence on the jobs. Uh, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of jobs, even in fully roboticized kind of factories. So yeah, but I mean, at that point, they are good, like good paying, high tech, stable jobs, not yeah. transitory construction work. Yeah, and it all hinges upon the idea of uh, microclimate specific value proposition of yeah. domestically yeah, produced PV panels. That, which is which is actually a really, really neat conversation. It is super cool. Tailoring your solar panels to the environment they're going to be deployed in instead of just buying an off-the-shelf one that may not be optimal. Yeah. Not, and you have there, there's, there's a carbon debt conversation too, because you're moving these things around moving the world stuff around, these yeah. big nasty ships. So you eliminate that, you get a carbon benefit, you get a job benefit. And if you can do it and make it pencil because the products, you know, the, the, and make it actually, you need to have it perform better, right? And that can only yep. happen from a local geographic manufacturing uh, position or standpoint. Uh, so tariffs on Southeast Asian. Uh, factories. I don't know, man. Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, it's not a tariff yet. It's not law. It's just they're they're doing an inquiry to find out whether this really is a circumvention. But I think it's pretty obvious that pretty they're obvious. going to find. Yeah, these are these are all just wholly owned Chinese companies that with a different stamp, and right. that's, that's going to be a thing. Uh, you want to talk to Vineyard Wind? Because I do. oh, let's talk to Vineyard Wind. All right, so this is Andrew <laughs> Doba, great guy. Uh, comms officer basically over there at Vineyard. And if for those of you who haven't heard about Vineyard Wind, they're basically the, the company that is pioneering offshore wind in the United States. And that is something that is just, we've been working on, we meaning our society, has been working on offshore wind for a long time. We didn't have the political support to make it happen. This is decades long uh, process. Mm -hmm. And not only does it come to fruition this summer while we were out in Plymouth, by the way, but it, it, you know, they had, um, remember, I think we were in DC when they put the article out and they showed the union labor, um, uh, event. And they were talking yeah. about how they just signed the biggest union labor deal for, for energy projects in the United States. So awesome stuff. The feds are way behind, well behind it. And right on the heels right now of major leases across the New York corridor. And we're going to talk about the Carolinas in a little bit afterwards. Let's go right over to Andrew Doba of Vineyard Wind uh, with the Hallie Dexes over in New Bedford. Uh, well, my name is Andrew Doba, uh, Director of Communications for Vineyard Wind. Um, I've been working in various phases uh, for the company for a little more than uh, two years now. Uh, and, um, you know, um, it's, uh, it's, it's a really exciting, uh, company to be involved in and a very exciting project. You know, it's not often you get a front row seat for the launch of a brand new industry, um, but that's yeah. just what we have here, uh, you know, in this, in, with this project and, and this company. Uh, and it's it really exciting, you know, I mean, uh, for every, you know, for every milestone we pass, 
uh, you know, we're breaking new ground and I'm not trying to, you know, throw every cliche in the book at you right now, but I mean, it really is true. I mean, we're, you know, we're, we've gotten further than any other offshore project uh, in the country's history uh, has gotten. So, um, so it's exciting. You know, um, we are looking at installing 800 megawatts of offshore wind power uh, about 15 miles off the coast of Martha's Vineyard. Uh, in terms of visibility, you know, um, we've taken every care to make sure that these are, uh, there's as little impact as possible. And, you know, on most days you will not see them, you know, I suppose on a, you know, really clear uh, fall day, you know, you might, uh, you know, but, uh, but, but, you know, big reason why the area was chosen where the wind farm is going is that they're, they're, they're far away. They're not going to be, you know, they're not in anyone's backyard. Uh, and, right. um, and, and when you say, when, if I may, when, when you say uh, visible, and uh, and I didn't mean to start off on that particular topic, but I am interested in that. Do you mean visible from Martha's exclusively? Because I can't imagine that you'd be able to see it from the from the mainland or from Cuddy. Yeah, I mean, you're talking. Um, I believe it is. Uh, it, it's more than twenty miles uh, right. off the coast of the Cape. Um, right. So you know, I mean, it, if there's any visibility, it's going to be minuscule. Um, you know, and, and we've taken a number of, 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 of steps to make sure that it's even, you know, one of the things that, you know, if you've ever seen, I mean, look, there's only seven turbines in the water right now in the United States of America. Those uh, are two are Orsted, right? Uh, yeah, two off the coast of Virginia that has been done by Dominion and the five off of Block Island, uh, which are owned by Orsted. Right. So if you've seen those, I mean, you know, I, uh, my family and I vacation not too far from there uh, every year. And, you know, at night you can see the, the yellow, I'm sorry, the red lights on the turbines. Right. Um, for, the, for the project that we're building, we're actually using a, a system called um, aircraft detection lighting system. Uh-huh. Uh, and so those red lights are only going to be on something like three or four hours a year. Um, and so, you know, so even from that standpoint, I mean, you know, the, the visual aspects is, is one that's, you know, gotcha. we've thought a lot about and is not going to have a big impact. I'm sure. I'm sure. And I got to tell you, I'm like really excited to learn about the, um, the location, the power generation. You know, when we think about wind uh, from the perspective of talking about solar all the time, solar batteries, this kind of world tends to be a big part of our talking points. Right. But you know, wind produced more energy in the renewable energy kind of section than solar last year in the United States, right? And so yeah. we have this um, tremendous resource, it's been around for a while, but it's making huge advances. And I want to understand some of those advances technically and how things get done. So tell us a little bit about the wind farm itself. You mentioned the location. What's the units that are going to be put in? How's it all fit together? So I think a really good way, a really good way to explain uh, the technological side is to sort of somewhat highlight the uh, you know, the, the path to getting to the point where we are right now has not always been, you know, uh, smooth sailing, uh, to say the least. Uh, and so you might remember we were delayed by the federal government um, um, in 2019 uh, before getting final approval. And as a result of that decision, we ended up having to go out to bid for all of our contracts because they expired. So initially we had, uh, we were going to be putting in nine and a half megawatt uh, uh, MHI Vestas turbines. Um, but when that contract expired, we went out. Uh, and to bid it, and we ended up uh, selecting the GE Halliot X, which is a 13 megawatt turbine. Yeah. So I mean, that jump right there, I think, just from the you know the, the necessity of hitting pause and then restarting and showing how much it's grown in that standpoint. I mean, and just what does that mean? So when we first applied for the project, we were looking at upwards of 108 turbines. Um, when we made the selection of the Vestas, we were down to 84, um, and then once we selected the GE Halliot X, we were down to 62. So it'll allow um, you to do less with the same amount of power. Basically. Right. We're still generating the 800 megawatts, um, but with, with far fewer turbines. 
Um, and it really just isn't, a, it's, a, it's a perfect example of, of how much, um, you know, how much the, the technology is growing by, you know, uh, every year at this point. Um, in terms of other things about the project, you know, I mean, we've adopted some fairly unique, um, you know, there isn't going to be a, the wind farm that we'll be doing is not going to look like any other wind farm in the world. Uh, we have, and the other developers in our area, uh, which is known as the, uh, uh, the um, New England Wind Development Area. Um, we've all agreed to use uniform one-by-one one nautical mile spacing between our turbines, which will create a grid in the area and allow for transit lanes for, for vessels to get through, um, you know, in these mile, you know, mile plus wide corridors. Um, so that's one, one big factor, uh, you know, in terms of. Just so you don't have to avoid a block of wind turbines. You don't have to like reroute around it. It's actually set in a way where it doesn't impact shipping routes. Exactly, exactly. And like I said, a huge, you know, there's 200 mile wide corridors through every part of the, through every part of the wind farm. Interesting. Um, so, um, so that, that's one aspect, um, you know, and then just in terms of some particulars on the project, I mean, we're talking 800 megawatts, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of power, um, you know, for context, you know, up here in New England, they're talking about building a couple new uh, natural gas plants. They're coming in at like 650 megawatts. Right. So, I mean, you're generating more power than even, you know, like the advanced gas plants are doing, nice. um, you know, and what does 800 megawatts mean? So it's enough power for about 400,000 homes and businesses in, in the Commonwealth. Uh, it's the equivalent of, you know, getting that power replaced with wind is the equivalent of taking 325,000 cars off the road every year. Um, you know, and the biggest factor, and I think what's driving a lot of the business, um, you know, uh, at least on, specifically on the East Coast, is that you know more and more states are trying to uh, adopt higher percentages uh, in their renewable portfolio standards, um, and without offshore winds, um, the states in particularly in the Northeast where I live, uh, there isn't. I mean, without offshore wind, it's going to be very difficult to hit those targets. Um, you know, based on their decarbonization goals. That's amazing. And I'll tell you what, from the perspective, I'm, I'm, I'm an East Coast guy. I grew up in New Jersey and live in New York. So and lots of friends up in, in the Commonwealth, as you put it, right? And uh, so I, I, but I live here in Maui now and uh, we're- That'd be really you know, rough, by the way. <laughs> I, really rough. I get that from the East Coast all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so 100% renewable energy mandate, right? Here in uh, Hawaii, the first state to adopt that. And just to give you a sense of- uh, I tend to think of offshore wind for Oahu because while the other islands may be able to meet that uh, mandate with solar and a combination of other uh, deployments, I don't think Oahu, DBED recently did an analysis, an analysis of the overall landscape, the topography, and they just could not locate enough solar to hit the 100% renewable energy mandate. Yeah. It just wasn't there, whether it was a combo of, and they were modeling all different kinds of stuff, right? From rooftop to, to yeah. carports to you know, everything. And so a conversation that's been emerging over the last couple of years has been offshore wind for Oahu to be able to meet that mandate. So yeah. just like you said about the Commonwealth, we've got a similar issue out here, just deployable space for the amount of power and energy you need yep. so yep. that's that's really exciting and i love the idea of 800 megawatts with 62 turbines it just feels like mega scale right tell us oh, a little bit yeah. if you can about uh ge i know laval and 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 the people over there did some amazing work with creating the halyard x can you what can you tell us about the, the your choice well i mean it's the most powerful wind turbine on the planet uh you know uh one uh, rotation would power home for two days uh you know it's pretty crazy um, and, you know, I mean, I think one of the other real sort of uh, uh, advantages is, you know, and this is the difference between the East Coast and the West Coast, you know, on the East Coast, we obviously have the outer continental shelf, right? So yeah. our water is much shallower. We've got an ability to put, you know, put turbines in and, and um, 
the area that we're currently developing has been called by some the, the Saudi Arabia of wind. Um, I like it. And, yeah, which I it was a great soundbite. I love that. Um, so, you know, so by working with GE, I mean, you know, we're able to bring the, the, the most powerful turbine in the market into one of the best markets for wind um, and hopefully set a really high bar for the industry. Now on the West Coast, you know, I think a, by all accounts, and I'm less familiar around Hawaii, but certainly off the coast of California, you're looking more at floating uh, and, you know, that's in various stages of, of development. But just to put this into context it's in terms of how much power we're talking about, right now on the East Coast alone, right? So if you were just to put turbines in the East Coast, there's estimated to be enough wind power to power two times the U.S. current baseload. And that's just on the, that's it's just on, that's just on the West, on, on, I'm sorry, on the East Coast, yeah. right? So the potential here, you know, I mean, obviously you don't want to like bottleneck and put them all in one spot, but right. you know, the potential on both coasts, once floating becomes, you know, a bit more tested and is ready to roll. I mean, is the potential for, for, for generating clean electricity is really so uh, you, see, you see a huge opportunity for big wind, offshore wind, be it anchored or floating. Can I call those? Those are two designations, sure. right? Um, or found. So it, what right now I understand we produce more wind than we do more renewable energy with wind than with solar. So it, where do you see that growing? Have you thought about that in terms of the overall scope of the renewable energy mix in the next decade? Is that a conversation you have with the other brilliant people at Vineyard Wind and the big wind guys? I mean, what, what, what kind of conversations do you have in, in, in that uh, in that room? Well, I think if you were looking for that, the best place to look is really with the Biden administration and, and what they're doing. You know, I mean, we there are a number of lease areas currently under development. You know, you've got you've got projects like Kitty Hawk, uh, you know, in the Atlantic uh, Atlantic Coast region. Uh, as I mentioned, Dominion off of Virginia is looking at a massive installation there. Um, you know, so you're seeing a lot of progress based on existing lease areas. But the Biden administration just put out a plan uh, a month or so ago um, to put out a number of new lease area options. So looking at uh, further areas off of New York, some of the Gulf of Mexico, and California. Um, and so the federal government really is going to be the driving force behind, behind defining where the lease areas are and where we go, um, which is how we got to this point, by the way. I mean, if, if I can just, you know, the, the reason the, the lease areas that we're currently talking about now that are in development, this process started in 2009. Um, and initially, the lease area that was proposed was was 60 percent larger than what was actually uh, what was actually finally signed off on. Um, and then Vineyard was able to uh, acquire a lease in 2015 and begin the process. <clears throat> so I imagine that they're going to be following a similar process, right? Going through identifying, you know, public engagements, obviously a big component of all this, yeah. um, you know, refining what those spaces look like and then putting them out to bid. And I think what you're seeing right now, and just in terms of a financial standpoint is, you know, the banks, the financial community is clearly behind this. Uh, they see the potential here. And to me, that's one of the most positive aspects because, you know, I think a lot of people in the renewables world know of Cape Wind. Um, you know, what I think a lot of people don't realize about Cape Wind is that it actually had all of its uh, permitting. Um, what it didn't have was the financing. Uh, and so, you know, we've kind of, we've crossed that threshold. And I think you're seeing, you know, I, I think we're just kind of hitting our stride at the exact right time uh, in North yeah, America. Right. 
So that institutional money's out there saying we're, we're behind this. You have right. the you know, policymakers behind it. And, yeah. you know, time has kind of come, right? So yep. and it's, it's very exciting. Can you just tell us what are the basic specs of the Howley Index? I know this is really a conversation from GE, but I'd love to know, you know, the, the height and that you mentioned it, it's getting one, one or two uh, rotations and it can power a home. So what, what, what can you tell us about the, the system? I'm just well, trying, it's hard to get scale, right? You're trying sure. to think about how big is this? Well, I mean, so the, the, from, you know, from, from the top to the, from the bottom to the top of the tower is basically, uh, it's the size of the Eiffel Tower uh, is is how large it is. And each blade um, comes under, it's, it's longer than a football field, Hmm. um, almost as long as a football field goalpost to goalpost. It's about six yards shy of, of of doing the whole football field goalpost to goalpost. So, you know, I mean, perfect. That, that that makes sense. Now you go, (laughs) I get the sky, I get the size of this. How do you go about building this? How do you, I mean, I understand there's certain kind of ships that are used for the during the process, the process, the, the, the construction process. What's the timeframe? What does this process look like? Let's say you get, you you have your green light, whenever that is like to know when that is. And then what happens? Well, I mean, we are in the in the uh, stages of planning a groundbreaking. So, just in terms of timeline, um, we'll have definitely uh, you'll you'll be hearing something on that in the near future. Nice. Um, in terms of you know, so we're starting onshore construction this year. Um, it will continue into next year. We start offshore construction in 2023. Uh, first power comes onto the grid in late 2023, and then we finish construction in 2024. Oh, so um, you're moving. I mean, you're. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's. I mean, we're, we're, this is just a couple of years away. Yeah, no, we're moving, and and now you're getting into sort of, you know, we're doing quite a lot on workforce development. Uh, right. You know, just making sure that we've got, uh, you know, the right workforce in place. We are, um, you know, we we uh, we signed the country's first project labor agreement for an offshore wind uh, project uh, back in July. Yeah. Um, so 500 union jobs are going to be created as a part of this, we're getting the trades involved, you know, apprenticeship programs, things of that nature. So we're trying to build that out. Um, we're using the port uh, uh, in New Bedford, the Marine Commerce Terminal in New Bedford as a, uh, as a construction and staging area. And essentially the way that will work is that the turbines will, will come in, they will be assembled uh, in New Bedford, uh, and then they will brought, be brought back out uh, to the water from there. And eventually what you'll see on the construction side is, you know, these massive jack-up vessels, uh, ultimately they'll be loaded with the materials. What they do is they go to the location, they have these long legs, they extend and basically go to the ocean floor and lift the boat out of the water. And then you have basically a crane platform yeah. that, you know, puts the, puts the, puts the jacket on, puts the blades on and, you know, moves to the next location. Oh man, I want to time-lapse that. That sounds Yeah, same here. Right? <laughs> Very good. And these, uh, are these being made in, in Europe? Did I hear that correctly with GE that they have a prototype over maybe in Norway or something? Yeah, there is one, I believe in Rotterdam. Rotterdam I yeah. say. Um, I, the, the exact locations I think are still being uh, tinkered on, uh, on GE's end. We did place an order. So like, you know, they've got a, an order in hand for the, uh, for the turbines, but I think, you know, they're, they're figuring some things out on their end. Very good. Very good. All right. So you got a 62 turbine, um, Halliadax, 13 megs a, a piece, roughly, right? 13 mega, megawatts a piece. And uh, going in over the next couple of years, huge advances. Is, are there any other points that you'd like to make sure we cover before we wrap this up? No, I, mean, I think that's it. Again, I just think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's an exciting, uh, it's exciting point for the industry to be in. Um, I think everybody in, in, you know, on our team is, is anxious to kind of see where this goes over the next few years. And just in terms of, 
it's been a it's been an idea for so long to sort of see it in reality uh, you know in the next several months i think it's going to be pretty amazing I and mean, we have people who uh, have been involved in this industry, you know, for for well, going on 20 years. You know, people on staff who have worked for Cape Wind. So, you know, people have been doing this for a really long time. And I think, you know, once we kind of get to that point, I think it'll be a it'll be a pretty big pretty big milestone for not just us but just the industry across the board. There you have it, folks. Andrew Doba, Vineyard Wind Communications Director, right? And right. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to get the inside story on what's happening with the deployment of 62 13 megawatt Halliot Xs off the coast of Martha's Vineyard, changing the landscape of renewable energy in the United States right now. I think you said it best, Andrew. Uh, the the front row seat to the, uh, the redevelopment of the new the new the new show, right? So thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Please uh, take us out there and uh, let's do some recording with you in the future. Sounds good. Definitely. All right. Andrew Doba from Vineyard Wind. Really like that guy, the Saudi Arabia of wind. What do you think about that quote, Jay? <laughs> Saudi Arabia of wind actually sounds pretty good. Um, <laughs> like I said, it, I mean, we both grew up on the East Coast. Uh, I know that area really, really well. Um, concerns about visibility is going to be a thing, but it looks like they've addressed most of them. I do have a serious interest in that aircraft detection kind of system because they I mean they have to have the little indicator lights to because when you when you're up in a low flying small aircraft um these these things they they look up they're like they're they're reaching up to grab you right and it's it can be dangerous so that's why mm -hmm. they have those indicators on all the big tall buildings power poles and of course these 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 windmills that are yeah. going to be out there um this one looks like it's only going to work <clears throat> when there's aircraft in the direct vicinity how it knows that i have no oh, idea i see uh, yeah <laughs> it's, it's really interesting but i mean pilots in the area are going to get to know um that they're they're out there uh very very quickly and probably right. avoid the area right not only, i mean it's, it's generally not fun to to fly over water anyway if you're in a small plane that's not equipped for water landing um but well, we'll, we'll see how that, that comes down. <laughs> you got me thinking about our trip this summer to Cuddy Hunk when you're, uh, you're, you, when Wes was like, Hey, you want to go take a look at those windmills? And when I was like, not that close, <laughs> not that close. <laughs> <laughs> that, but that's why it's, it's really uncomfortable, right? I mean, they're actually, it, it, well, they're moving right there <laughs> and then outside moving. your window and it's spinning. <laughs> I'm like, what is that close it's enough? Not, yes, we're not, yes, we're not that's close like enough, the, Wes. The, we're not That's talking like enough. the glide path for Logan. We're talking about <laughs> right there. <laughs> Very scary. Um, but yeah, uh, so those indicators serve a real purpose. And I'm, I can see people being upset if they're just constantly out there flashing. But if it's if it's an intermittent thing or they only go off when they're required that's that's nice yeah. and, neat. and i can't remember but um, he probably references the block island turbines that are actually the first ones that are off the coast of the united states yeah, he did. and the those and the, the the annual cumulative time is like a very very small amount of three time to four hours we're talking about a red light <laughs> out the entire guys. year yeah. yeah not so bad um but this is part of the larger um policy shift that we're seeing so yeah um from the uh, U.S. Department of the Interior, uh, Biden-Harris administration announces wind energy lease sale offshore of the Carolinas. So it's not just in New England. It's, and that just uh, happened. That just happened. Yeah, this this just, is March 28th. Just announced March 28th. That's yesterday um, of our recording. So yeah. 
this is huge. I mean, we're talking about 1.3 gigs of offshore wind energy, enough to power 500,000 homes. Love when they do the, the, the home conversion. But I mean, 1.3 that help, gigs. That helps is, a lot. I mean, I, I like to frame this type of stuff. Let's talk about that just for a second. So 1.3 gigawatts, um, like one and a half times the, the vineyard wind uh, installation. The lease area covers uh, 110,000 acres. Yeah. I and mean, that's, that's, that's a lot of area out the um, at Carolina Long Bay um, area, but, um, 500,000 homes, that's not a small number, but I want to frame that for people. So off of the, um, U S energy information administration website, uh, I have data for 2020. I don't have data for 2021 and 2020 <laughs> was a weird year anyway, but still energy use for, uh, the U S was 3.8 trillion kilowatt hours. Now I, I don't like annual? the fact that they use the trillion that's an I think they want it. They want it to sound really big, and so you put it in kilowatt hours. But we have megawatt hours and gigawatt hours for a reason. <laughs> so doing doing the conversion, it, it comes down really easily. Um, just three point eight million gigawatt hours. Now, what that means for for everybody, um, like your average nuclear power plant is around one gigawatt. Uh, these winds, these wind farms are kind of playing in that realm where it's eight hundred megawatt hour, which is 800 megawatt, which is um, a little less than a nuclear reactor or 1.3, which is a little more than a nuclear reactor. But I mean, they're, they're, they're all different, nuke is one, uh, but, one but it's in that realm. Yeah. And basically what an, a gigawatt hour is, is if you run that, it's the amount of energy that comes out of that wind farm or that new reactor um, in one hour. Mm. So if you're running at a gigawatt, you run for an hour, you get a gigawatt hour. That's all that means. So the U.S. using 3.8 million gigawatt hour per year. Um, we're going to need a whole lot more of these windmills. Um, in fact, if uh, where was the data? I think we have we just surpassed um, 100 gigawatt rolled out per year. One of our other really news nice articles yeah. here for for wind. Um, so that, that came from a, uh, stockhead article, but we just, um, or almost a hundred, we're just about to pass a hundred gigawatt per year, but that still means that at this pace, we need to be rolling out wind. If wind is the only source for another 38,000 years, I don't know, in order to supply the U S <laughs> but we're talking about gigawatt hour consumption domestically complete yeah. picture yeah and then we're talking about power because the way these things are rated they're based on, rated on power right right so then That's how much you can get it in an instant yeah so and you're saying that like it would require did you say oh, it, at the current rate of deployment for wind you need to be running you need to be doing what's the rate of deployment that you mean like years <laughs> you mean 100 gigs per year 100 gigs per year. I gotcha. I gotcha. But how much? How much is that 100 gigs produced in in energy? Not in, not as a power. Not as a power figure, right? So it's like, what's the energy production of that 100 gigs annually? That would give us a better sense. I mean, yeah. you know, so it's it's just it's just it's just a lot. Like I said, it's it's a drop in the bucket in the I grand scheme of things. People people you. are thinking about this. Um, you need to have have those hours. It's actually not that it's you have to divide by hours in the year and <laughs> you know what i'd like to see i would like to see this when andrew doba talks about how 
our wind capacity, like the, the, the measured wind energy that's out there for our viable locations around the country is a multiple of the U.S. base load. I would like to know what that looks like. Like, I would like to yeah. see how many windmills where, what's the visibility, how does that play a role with the other intermittent sources and dispatchable sources? Like, I really want to start to see the United States as a as a as a net zero or as a clean energy grid and what those what those technologies look like in their entirety. Like some modeling, I haven't quite seen that yet. If you go to Hoover Dam, they have these models of like how the, the you know all the different energy sources work together and they have examples of some windmills and different things and comparables. If you go to the US and I mean about Hawaii here in D-bed, they talk about you know the the islands, these little tiny microcosms, right? And you can see what, what exactly what's happening in terms of energy generation and a given grid for a given size. But the actual United States, I haven't thought about that before. What does that look like? You know? Yeah, I mean, and it's really kind of a, a, a difficult conversation to have because it's it's not even. The distribution of energy generation and consumption isn't even either. You mean it's we got hot spots like New York and LA yeah, versus yeah, big, you know, big cities versus farmland. There's a transmission conversation right. in there too. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very. Very cool stuff, man. Got me thinking here, buddy. All right. Do you want to but talk figure, about Europe a little bit? Is that those, where we're going? Figure out those numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Are we looking at Boris Johnson? Is that what's happening next? Yeah. I mean, what's going on in the UK is is it pretty, I mean, pretty much mirrors what's going on in the US, right? Where we, we have these conversations we need to get away from foreign um, energy sources. And they are even more um, subject to this because regionally they're they're pretty close to russia so they get a lot of russian i'm uh, most people don't know still that i've spent the majority of my career in it uh, i've developed software for a company in england that their whole business was just importing russian coal that's what they did and the software that i wrote was just so that they could measure because they measured it by area you know they would just bring it in and it would just be this big giant pile and they wanted to know how much coal was in a, in a given area and which was going to which um, uh, distributor, et cetera, et cetera. So it was just by meters of coal <laughs> that they were bringing in, but that's, that's what they did. Uh, and it is because geographically they're right there. It, it was very a convenient energy source, but now it's become inconvenient for different reasons. Mm. So by basically, uh, in this case, Boris Johnson is talking about bolstering nuclear and wind, um, yep. given the current geopolitical situation. And, and what it's what it sounds like what it sounds like to me. So this, this is um, Energy Central article, um, but it, what it sounds like to me, he's basically got meetings lined up with everybody. Right. <laughs> what, this what can you guys do? He doesn't we, have the information, uh, but he's doing his research. He's got meetings with the wind people. He's got meeting with the nuclear people, um, and he's and he's got meeting with the solar people. And he's just going to try to find whoever, whoever makes the best pitch, I guess, is going to get the majority of the, the, the government backing. But it sounds like he's entertaining all solutions, which is not a bad thing to do. That seems to be the, the, the method of the day right now. It's like, okay, well, now that you guys have been talking about all this technology forever, now what can we actually use? Hey, let's jump over to the markets. Can we get, can we just wrap it up with the, uh, with the windy discussion? Is that okay? Really quick. This, this was a cool one. You sent this over. Um, the <laughs> WNDY is the symbol for a new 
a relatively new ETF that specifically focuses on uh, wind energy uh, supply. Yeah, it started only six months so ago. Nine eight twenty one is the inception date, and they got four million in net assets. I mean, you can t- if you're talking about ETFs. We uh, the reason I was excited about this, Jay, is that you know we see wind. I mean, we're talking to Goldman. We're talking to uh, Vineyard. We're talking to other guys. We're seeing what's happening out there in the leases, the Carolinas, like the New York quarter, the multi-billion-dollar eye-popping. I think it was a term they used in the podcasters roundtable last week. So it's all happening. All right. Well, how do we get involved with this? And, well, and ETFs are a great money way up for grabs, right? So, <laughs> and ETF is a is it electronically traded fund? Is that what it is? Hmm? Exchange traded fund or electronically Exchange traded fund? What is traded. It? Exchange traded fund. That's what ETF stands for. We saw that. We played with that a little bit with TAN and PBR, I think. And it was kind of like mm-hmm. baskets of different um, you know, renewable energy stocks. But I was like, well, what's out there in the wind world? Because, hey, man, this stuff's happening. And maybe this is our, our ticket to make a few bucks. <laughs> so Windy is one of the, uh, the, the first ones that pop up. High growth potential. Who the heck knows? Forecast suggests the global um, market for wind okay. energy so could if, reach if, if 127 million. Off, like I said, only 100 gig. That, that's, that's kind of the message that I, the reason why I brought all that data in before is that if it's really taking off, we're really going to use wind as a serious generator of energy for our society, then these companies that have been doing well already at this tiny fraction of our total energy consumption, they're going to have to scale and they're going to have to scale big. There you go. Sounds so good. That's, kind of, that's kind of the conversation. Uh, the one downside for this particular ETF that I caught out uh-huh. is that it is predominantly weighted in China. It's in terms of Chinese companies? Invest, investments. The, the, the US almost doesn't make the list at one only 1.9%. So it's not a very domestic, for people that want to invest oh, domestically, it is not too attractive for that. Um, it's, it's 40% um, approximately uh, weighted in China. So I'm looking and at the net assets right now. You know what's interesting about this? So you have um, net assets, Northland Power is the highest, you know, the biggest piece of that basket. But you have Orsted, um, mm-hmm. which we tried to get in touch with related to some of the projects um, in, in, recently over the summer. I also see in here uh, Interjex. Interjex mm-hmm. is the company that is I working here in Hawaii and has won a lot of the, a lot of the bids uh, for some of our solar plus storage systems, but I know they do a lot of wind and hydro as well. So it's cool. This, at least we can see some companies that we know of, but there's a bunch here, China, Mingyang, I suppose, uh, Sonoma, they look like they're probably Chinese companies. Uh, so yeah, I, I see what you're saying, Jay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. And it's, but they, I mean, they, they make it very plain. Uh, obviously Hong Kong is, is part of China as well. So I don't know why they break that up quite <laughs> separately, but um, helpful. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it makes sense. Yeah. It is, it, it is a, a less attractive feature of this particular basket. We'll have to take a look at some of the other ETFs, maybe do a comparison. All right, sure. folks. Well, that was Andrew Doba talking with uh, Vineyard Wind. CEO Lars was really a great uh, help in getting this interview together. I was actually chatting with Lars on LinkedIn, and he's like, okay, you got to do it, guys. Let's do it. So he was really helpful in getting us uh, that interview. And uh, I got to tell you, I really am excited to be able to talk more about wind, to see its impacts for uh, the rest of the country, see the Carolinas, the New York, actually see the Vineyard Wind deployed out there in Cuddy and out by Cuddy and Martha's and Nantucket, all that great, great area. You just want to go back sailing. What's that? <laughs> you 
just want to go back sailing. Of course. I just want to hang out on <laughs> sailboats and helicopters and do fun stuff and eat it is, seagulls. It is going to be interesting. Breakfast. He said they're going to be rolling out fast. So we got to get out there. Uh, and then who knows? Maybe there's an opportunity uh, for some pioneering of big wind here in Hawaii. So to me, it's a very exciting time. We're going to keep our eyes on this. And we're going to uh, not only uh, we've got a handful of other wind shows we'll be able to do. Goldwind is right up there, one of the largest manufacturers in the world. We have uh, CEO David Sale who will be appearing in one of our upcoming episodes. All right, folks, thank you for tuning in. This has been The Solar Coaster. Aloha from Maui. Have a good one.